Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, ranger, piano player from Charlotte, North Carolina, John Mason. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have Sean Mathan with us. Yeah, I'm bad with names, people. You know that by now. But, sir, thank you for joining us. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about yourself and then we'll get into it? Yeah, I play the piano. Uh, born and raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Currently live in New York and... Uh, Excited to celebrate the release of my album and all the things. Mm -hmm. Well, first thing I want to say is that I enjoyed your album from start to finish. And it was funny because when your album popped up on my thing, I was just like, this is the guy always playing piano for Lauren, at least on her last like 10 singles, I swear. So I was ready to listen to it. And from the gate, when I was listening to it, I was with my youth group. And then one of them was trying to be a smart butt on Final Voyage. He's like, they're dragging. And I'm like, no, they're not. Listen to it and do the timing, man. They're not dragging at all. They're actually very in sync. So first, <laughs> thing, no, seriously, man, I like that. And first thing I got to ask you is, how did you get this band together? How did this project start? And you got the kids to listen to the whole album. So that was a win off that conversation. Yeah, I mean, that's good. Let me tell you, youth group, I said thank you. Uh, you know, I didn't think we were dragging. If we are, I mean, who cares? You know, it's all just music. But I, I, I think we were, I mean, we were pretty much on top of the beat. I mean, we, we had a good time. I mean, recording that in the studio was was really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, these are a special group of, of, of cats. And, uh, you know, I wrote the music and they they, they learned everything and uh, really played the, the hell out of my tunes. So I'm really grateful for them. Uh, Tony, Damo, Felix, uh, and Chris for, for doing that. And uh, thank you for listening to the album. I'm glad you enjoyed it, really. Ah, yeah, dude. There's a few other questions I'll ask about that. But was it one of these? Because I know you went to Juilliard. So is this one of these Juilliard groups they threw together and it just clicked? Not entirely. I mean... Uh, Chris and I, and Felix, we all went to Juilliard. Tony, you know, I just met out in New York, as well as Damo, and so it wasn't a it wasn't an all Juilliard group, but three out of the five members we we did attend the, the Juilliard school. Okay, like I said, every now and then, people, I like some stuff that come out of Juilliard, even though I seem to beat up on it sometimes. <laughs> so, my favorite, yeah, we, we, yeah. we all we all have. There's positives and negatives with everything, you know. I know, I know. <laughs> We're not trying to beat up on Juilliard today or anything like that. But <laughs> my two questions I got to ask you. So I'm probably going to butcher the name. Uh, uh, Lavender, that track? Yeah, Lavender. Lavender. Wow, I am an idiot. But tell me exactly what you were thinking when you wrote that. I wanted something that that had that 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 tempo, 
you know, that, that tempo is, is, is something I was interested in. I wanted something that had that feeling, um, something with the with the melody and the form complex that was uh, a form structure that was nuanced, but but also very singable and very rooted in the Southern tradition that I grew up in. Um, one of soul, one of blues. So I wanted the melody to be extremely soulful, um, extremely singable and hummable. And uh, that that whole song, I wanted it to, I wanted us to to be taken on an art. I mean, there's no solos. I know in the whole entire track. Well, I guess there's a solo, there's a bass solo, but it's not really even a solo. He's just playing the melody. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted, I wanted something that was the whole album is really centered around melody, and uh, it's an exploration in in form structure as well, and uh, which came more from the arranging than the the compositions, but. Uh, it, it it was a whole album exploring the the possibilities of a melody, how to create melodies and and how to create melodies from this background that the album is about. So you know it's called the Southern Suite, and uh, you know I just I grew up in the South, so I grew up around. I'm sorry about that. I grew up with a certain type of soul and uh, blues, and I wanted everything to have that in in, in a modern context that also, of course, paid pay tribute to my roots and, and the people that came before me. So Lavender was just another example of that. It's just an extension of, of that. And that's a hard tempo to play. Um, and it's hard to play a melody. I wanted, you know, Chris was like the, Chris was the guy that was moving. You know, Tony's part kind of stayed the same, but I wanted Chris, each time that melody came in, he had a different part, a different harmony part. And that was his paying homage to, to Duke Ellington. And there's a lot of nuances in that tune. I wanted the whole band to play the melody. So everybody had their own part. Felix had his own part on bass. Damo also played the melody, but on drums. I told him I wanted mostly low frequencies on that part. I don't want any high frequencies of the cymbal. So everything was very specific on that specific song. That I just wanted the melody to be able to sing out very clearly. Um, and then when we get to this, I guess, this break section, it's not really a praise break, but it kind of feels like that. And it's a, kind of an amen break. And, uh, you know, the horns kind of put a shout and then we get back into it. So it, it, it's full of a lot of a lot of surprises, but it's, it's in, in its essence, it's very soulful and, and melodic. Nice, man. And the following track, the one that came right out, the is Silky M. Silky M. Yeah. yeah. First of all, where did the title come from? And tell me about the breakdown of that track. Well, that was my nickname. And so, you know, a part of a part of this album was also paying paying tribute to just how I grew up. But yeah, my nickname was, was Silky M. Uh, M standing for Mason, which is my last name. And uh, Silky, I mean, everybody, when I went to school, they thought I was so smooth that they, they decided to call me Silky. And this is a true story. And so um, you can ask anybody that, that knew me in elementary and middle, middle school, et cetera, et cetera. They used to call me Silky M because they thought I was very smooth. And so I just wanted to name a song off of off my nickname and uh, kind of have that fun memory uh, put to an album. And yeah, that, that song is a celebration of those fun memories. And so that's why the song is very danceable in nature. Um, as soon as, I mean, we, we, we just hit with the, you know, and then after we, after we leave that, we go right to a blues. And, uh, so yeah, that's that's a really fun one. It allows us to kind of just take a breath. That was a really fun one to record. It was also very fun to write, and uh, you know, I, I also was just playing with form. So the the whole the whole point is is to play with form. I think there's only like a couple songs where 
it seems like a standard, you know, where it's head solos and head out. Um, but the head and the solo changes are the same. I, I, I wanted to just play around with that and play around with what, what does it mean to write a tune in this day and age? Um, you know, and that means something different from everybody, but what does it mean to write a tune, you know, from the lineage of, of still the, the, the blue spirit that I grew up with, um, but also I didn't want to, I mean, it's, you know, it's not the fifties and sixties anymore. So I wanted to explore what it means to, to write a tune with a modern form approach. Okay. But what do you mean by it's not the fifties and sixties? You just don't like their format or you just think it's not going to be pleasurable to people now? No, I think, I think people, I think people write, uh, I think we have to be aware of the time that we're in. And so it wasn't a, it was it was a positive statement. I mean, it's it's not the fifties and sixties anymore. Thank God. I mean, but I mean, some great music came out in the fifties and sixties. I mean, I I I I'm very influenced by a lot of different types of historical music. So I mean, I'm I'm the last one to be saying anything negative about a, a, a time period. Uh, I do think we're in a well, it's not even I think. I mean, we're definitely in a different time period. We're different. We're dealing with different variables. The world's in a different place, and I think music should reflect that. Um, in in its most honest way as it as it can, so you know, we're not in the hard bop era anymore. We're not in the bebop era of the '40s. You know, we're not in the swing era of the, of the '30s. All of these eras, I mean, they they were based on the time period that we're in. We're we're in a different kind of era now. So that's all I meant by that statement. Okay, it cool. was no disrespect. No, no, no. So, what would you consider more, this era today more of now? Uh, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's playing itself out. I guess we're only three years into this decade of the 2020s. Huh. Um, but it, I mean, I don't know. We're, it, it's still playing itself out. It's, it's, it's a very confusing time that we're in, in general, in the world, okay. where everything means everything means nothing, nothing means everything. We're in, a, we're in a very confusing time, and we can argue about it all all, all day and night, but that that's reflected in the music, where you know, across multiple genres, it's hard to say exactly what things are or what things aren't, um, because we've decided as a culture to move away from uh, structure, um, and so we see it in the most obvious way. We see it uh, is in relationships with people, romantic relationships, um, and. Uh, the the whole culture in that regard, we also see it in politics. Uh, so so things aren't people are just moving away from uh, any kind of any kind of standard, any kind of definition, any kind of constraint. And you know, I I personally disagree with that that, that notion because I I do think constraints at least provide the conditions for creativity, and they help me create even more when I when I can place myself into certain kind of constraints. When everything means nothing, I, I find myself lost and more confused, even though the intention is to, I guess, break out of this, quote unquote, uh, handcuffed nature of, of the world. Um, it, it actually has adverse effects. So that's I think that's the season where musically and it's, and it's portrayed in the in the compositions it's portrayed in and what you hear uh, musically across all genres is that it's, it's, it, it's it sounds very confused. Um, and it's just a reflection of the time we're in, where we're in a very confused time, uh, in a time of a lot of, of a lot of conflict.
No, and I, comfort is, is is good, but yeah, I agree with you on a lot of that. I just want to also question what do you mean by in terms of relationships of the change in times and too much openness and all that stuff. Well, you know, it's all reflected in the music. I mean, this this isn't an interview about you know relationship advice. I mean, who am I to do that? I'm just I'm just noting. Can I, I try to be very aware of what's going on because as an artist, I have to be, and mm-hmm. you know, I'm not sure. We, we have to meditate and, and ponder and contemplate on what it means to, to be an artist. And I want to exist in the world. You know, I think most artists trap themselves in their room and don't exist in the world. And the, the music, especially in the jazz idiom, sounds exactly like that. It sounds like it's trapped in a room as if somebody hasn't been outside in, in, in five years or so. Um, I try to be outside. I try to be in, in, in the world, in space, to see what's going on. As, as far as your questions, I mean... Yeah, we're, we're moving from a, 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 a position of or norm of, of, of monogamy uh, to polygamy, which is fine. Uh, I think I think when it goes to the to the other extreme um, and you, you then be, become you, you then normalize a bunch of uh, two extremities at the same time are, are beginning to be normalized. Um, and that other extremity is definitely going into extreme polygamy, which I think has adverse consequences to society, um, to the family. Um, but then also marriage rates, I mean, divorce rates are at all time highs. So that's another extremity that we're dealing with as well. Um, so these two extremes are happening where people are saying, you know, forget the marriage thing. I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm going to put whatever label I want to put on it and do whatever I want. And nobody can tell me anything because nothing means anything. And I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. When on the other side, you know, marriages are failing. And so how do we deal with that? And so I, I try to deal with that through art um, nice. and, and through okay. music. And nice. so it's nothing bad about anything. It's just a reflection of where we are and how, how to write music based on that. Okay, cool. No, no, no. The marriage thing, I do see both sides of that. I had people try to explain to me the whole thing about having multiple wives and multiple girlfriends. Now, I don't have money for that, nor do I have the patience for that. So the people able to do that, bless them. And I do understand where you're coming from with the failing divorce rates. So, yes. (laughs) Okay, so other question I need to ask you. So is it true you taught yourself the piano? Yeah, but I mean, I... I'm a believer in education. Um, you know, I definitely had mentors uh, growing up. and uh, But yeah, the initial introduction was, was definitely a self-taught introduction, and that, that formed the basis of my career. I didn't really have a formal teacher, per se, until I had to, which is when I went to school. Um, and then you're, like, assigned a teacher. But before then, I kind of taught myself and then grew up in church and uh, had some mentors. Um and I went to a, a, a jazz camp in Charlotte called Jazz Arts Initiative, and uh, that helped my development a lot as well. So I, I, I did have mentors and, and, and help, but the, the piano itself was was definitely a self-taught endeavor based on passion and uh, just kind of following my gut. I really didn't know what I was doing. I just began to practice, and I kept practicing. And my practice session got longer and longer. And then what do you know? Now I'm here. Okay. And what attracted you to the piano, do you know? I think my first impulse, I mean, my first uh, influence was was definitely Ray Charles. 
it was something about the the spirit of of the blues he was able to to express in his voice and also his piano playing that I guess at the age of 13 attracted me. I'm not sure why, but I mean, it definitely did. It, it definitely took a hold on me. It definitely called me. Um, and, I, and I went to pursue that, that impulse further. Okay. I'm glad you did that, man. <laughs> and another rumor that I heard through the grapevine, I don't know if this is true. Is it true Bradford Marcellus told you to move to New York? Uh, I, I met Bradford when I was in North Carolina, studying at UNCG, and he became a um, he became a great mentor, um, to me. And uh, yeah, he suggested that I I should move to New York if I if I'm considering to take this seriously, um, as many others have suggested me to move. I mean, you know, to move to New York when I was in North Carolina. So I, he definitely was a was a foundational mentor for me in my North Carolina years. And, and uh, you know, we still keep in contact today. He's a, he's a great person. So, yes, that question. No, I'm glad he did. <laughs> yeah, me too. So what was, what are the culture shocks or things that made you go, uh, when you first came to New York? Most things are positive. I mean, I, I wanted that, you know, I wanted the craziness of the city. Um. You know, the album also talks about that in the musical language. It's just, um, you know, I, I wanted to be around more creatives. I wanted to be around people pushing the boundaries. I wanted to have challenging conversations. I wanted to have open-minded discourse, both musically and um, through the English language. So I, all of these things New York offered me. So I, I, I didn't really have trouble fitting in. It wasn't too fast for me. It wasn't too crazy. I, I, I loved all all of those natures about New York. I, I do truly love cities and I love what they can do for human society. And so I, I didn't really have a problem. I had more of a problem in the slowness of, of down south than I did in the fast-paced nature of, of New York. So I, I didn't really have that uh, stereotypical um, thought about New York, you know, that it's too fast or whatever. I, I, I really enjoyed it and I think New York is a great city. Okay. What was too slow about the south? Is it Example you could give me? Uh, there's not a specific example that, that comes to mind, but more, more so of an, an observation of, of just a, a cultural expectation to kind of remain where you are, um, whatever that's in, in, in artistry. And it's, it's, a, it's a lack of open-mindedness. Um, I believe in, in freedom and free speech and all of those things. I, I think people should be entitled to their own beliefs and own opinions about things. Uh, I think the problem that the South has is that it it doesn't allow for that openness. It doesn't allow for two people to have two different opinions um, and be able to exist in the same room. Uh, it, it, it doesn't really, the, the culture doesn't foster that level of discourse. Um, and that, that, that fuels down to the music. Um, I thought it was just a Southern problem and I quickly realized it's not a Southern problem. It's a, it's a plague that's, you know, all present in the entire world, especially the United States. But at the time, uh, New York for me felt like a place of refuge where I have the freedom to express myself and, and the way I want to dress, the way I want to talk, the way I want to play musically and be able to have these these challenging conversations of discourse with people that disagree with me. Um, it's hard to disagree with somebody in the South because um, they don't really, they're not really confident in their positions anyway. 
and uh, and it's, it's hard to it's hard to exist as as an individual. Um, you're expected to conform to norms that are far far out of your controls. That is just being held up by people that have been following these norms for 40, 50, 60 years, and you're just expected to follow in line. And I I wasn't really interested in that. Um, so that's that's the answer to your question. There's no specific example, just an observation of, of the culture. Okay, man. Good answer, I guess. <laughs> what is something people misunderstand about the music world? You being in the university scene still, you being a performer. Mm, could you clarify the question? The music world is extremely large. The jazz sure. music world as a performer. Even from academia world, even before you came up here, what is something that you did not understand and you think most people did not, still don't understand unless they're inversed inside of it? Uh, it's, it's a balance. It's a dance, you know, that uh, you can't really learn in school. I mean, you can. I mean, education is weird, you know, because we're just in a time now where the, the the focus of education isn't education. It's about like making sure people's feelings don't get hurt. And so, ouch. You know, <laughs> when you like when that's when that's the main goal that teachers have is to make sure feelings don't get hurt. You're not really educating people. And so, in music, it's about making sure people feel accepted and comfortable in their incompetency and in their lack of musical excellence. If that is the case, but if that is the case, you know, there's no really, there's no real true support. It's all about like, yeah, man, you sound great. You know, or, yeah, man, you got it. You know, or whatever it is, these encouraging things, which I guess from a moral level, you can make an argument are helpful, but they really do more harm than they do good. And, uh, you know, when you feel a culture like that, both educationally and then the people that experience that in education, then go out into the real world and then do that to other musicians and other, and other people. So you, you're like operating from this mindset that everything is okay and that you're, you're like better than you actually are or that you're doing better than you actually are instead of trying your best to, 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 to be as aligned as possible and work as hard as possible. Um, and so that's fueled from this, this education system where you, you, you're, not, you're trying not to hurt people's feelings. You can't say the wrong things to people. Um, and it's not just in music, it's everywhere. And so in that, you know, that's a great, that, that, to me, that's the first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is that I, I wish there was more transparency, more openness as to what's actually going on in the real world and uh, what kind of incentives drive these kind of behaviors for, for people and what we can do to be able to be just a little less sensitive, you know, about everything in general for the, for the well-being of the world. Like it's, it's not an ego-driven pursuit. It's, it's a pursuit of of, uh, of putting art into this world to make this world a better place um, and to firmly express ourselves and be an individual and also to help encourage and inspire. There's no more inspiration in education. There's no inspiration uh, anywhere. I mean, it, it's, it's about walking on eggshells and making sure people's feelings aren't getting hurt. Um, but that's not doing any of us any good. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do wish that we can start at least to have open dialogue about it, you know, across universities, across these different jam sessions, um, 
you know, because if, if you don't sound good and you get kicked off stage, you know, you cry and it's just like, man, you know, which I understand, which, I, you know, people can attack me and say I'm morally corrupt for saying something like that. Well, I, I don't kicked off the, wait, wait, you, you lost me at that part. So you're talking about if you disagree, they kick you off the stage in the jam session and people cry about it? No, I was saying that is what I said, but I, I wasn't saying it in that way. I was I was mentioning an example. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Of uh, I was mentioning an example of uh you know, something that that happens, you know, frequently. Um which is which is fine. I don't I don't think I think we should treat each other with compassion and kindness and that should always be number one. Um compassion and kindness is the only way we get forward. In that, I do think that we have we have tilted the ship way far to the other direction where it's not past, I mean, it's not compassion and kindness anymore. It's like a, a really deeply rooted insecurity that comes, that manifests in, the, in, in passive aggressiveness. And I think there's a fine line between compassion and, and passiveness. And we have to have some kind of honest discourse about that because it's, it's, it's like ruining the, the music education system and, and the musicians that come, that's coming about that. like there's a way to be there's a way to 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 teach somebody um with and, and be compassionate but also get your point across like it, right now we're in a season of passiveness and sensitivity and i don't i don't think that works okay and so yeah that's a long way of answering your question yeah, I don't know. so sean so let's just say i put you in charge of x university right you're the music director how would you approach teaching the kids or your students? Well, this is a jazz school. Yes, a jazz school. I'm sorry. And, yes. And assuming, yes. And assuming that, uh, you know, there's been no prior administration, teaching administration before me. And uh, I can start from scratch. I mean, the first thing I would do is instill a culture uh, of compassion and also excellence. I think cultures matter. I mean, what I what I noticed at Juilliard was that culture really mattered, um, and the negative talk that comes from Juilliard is is, is rightfully so, but it, it's, it's stemming from culture. Um, it's stemming from culture more than more than like the competency of the teacher. It's really stemming from culture. So the first thing I would do is instill a culture of of uh, like freedom, basically, to, to be able to like let's say somebody comes in and only likes music from the 1920s. For them to have open and honest discourse from somebody that only likes jazz music from the 1990s. And like Mark Turner is their person, right? And to be able to have two completely different uh, people that still fall under this word called jazz, be able to exist in the same classroom and find similarities between what they can agree on and also have discourse about what they disagree on. I think that culture at a basic level sounds obvious but it's nowhere existent in any educational program I've seen or have been a part of. Um, and I, I would want to instill a, a culture of, of, of openness, open discourse, nuanced discourse, um, and then be able to take that in, into effective ways of learning, uh, learning the music by ear and, and, and having teachers, you know, recommend and, and, and basically guide the student. It's a guiding process. I mean, you can't, you can't force this music into somebody. I mean, the best you can do is just guide them in the right direction and help develop their path. 
you can't force the blues into somebody. I mean, you can't really teach that. Um, and we all know that. We're just not talking about it. You can't really teach that. You can you can do the best you can to guide them. Um, and the best way you can guide somebody is, in, is instilling a culture where everybody inspires each other to be great in their own way because not everybody's going to be, you know, we need those people that are only playing 1920s and 30s music. We need these people. They, they create a healthy economy. We also need the complete opposite of that. We also need people that are open to all kinds of music. We also need the people that are leaning more into hip-hop and R&B. We also need the people that are leaning more into classical music. We need all of these things. All of these things contribute to a healthy music economy. And we need to foster uh, a community and a culture that celebrates individuality um, and doesn't want everybody from that school to conform into just one individual. And basically, you're just, as a machine, pushing out 30 to 40 students you know, that all sound the same. I want 30 and 40 students to all sound exactly like themselves. And the student and the teachers should be pushing them to continue to ask the question, how can I be more like Sean? Meaning me, how can I be more like myself? How can I be more like myself? What can I do? And have the teacher guide the people to just be individual artists. And that's what we're missing is that culture. Okay, man. I like that. <laughs> If I ever started Jazz University, you'd be considered up there, okay, man? <laughs> <laughs> I need a few billions because I know I ain't going to make a profit off of that school. Don't worry, though. <laughs> yeah, the, the idea I had ain't going to make a profit. You know, oh, no, it's cool, man. I mean, I don't think jazz work. makes a profit. I still love it. <laughs> what do schools do? Schools do. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah, That's a, <laughs> you want to go down that world, don't you? <laughs> I don't. I'm just saying what's, what's on my mind. I mean, you know, the money fuels into. I mean, the money never goes directly to the artist. It's always a. It's always a middle ground. The middle ground being an institution. Um, um, yes. Yeah. Right now, or, that's part of the big problem yeah. with growing jazz. It's the institutions. Yes, a hundred percent with you on that. And so you know. If I mean, there's the grateful thing is that there's so many people willing to donate money to art to, to the arts. Uh, they're just being tricked to, to donate it to institutions as if they that gets funneled into actual arts. I mean, I mean, you take it's just, it's it's interesting. I mean, there's just a lot of people that are willing to donate money, and the endowments of these universities are so huge. They're basically like, you know, yeah, asset countries. management companies. Yes, that's a yeah, whole asset That's all. They're not education institutions, and so they uh. That just has bad consequences for artists because if you if you take a million dollars and just split it among the whole student body population, it's way more complicated than that. But it's just to show that the, the the money is not going directly to the artists, and even if it doesn't have to go directly to the artists, it can go to form infrastructures in the working world, like to to fund more. What do you mean, jazz clubs? To fund more <sighs> venues. The problem with um, the jazz club, I, I agree. I get what you're going for. It's just that if people aren't going subsidizing it isn't going to help. There's not really a big interest in it like that. Well, then we have to, to question why people aren't going. People aren't yeah. going because A, they don't have the disposable income for it. B, it's not really considered the, like we're going back to relationships. That's not really considered the place to bring your date. That's Maybe. Another. I mean, the, yeah. the disposable income thing, I'd, I'd have to disagree. I think people, I mean, people are paying, people pay for what they want to pay for. People are paying $200, $300 to see, you know, their favorite hip-hop artists. 
Um, I, not as much right those now. Are young, and those are, you know, but those are most mostly younger people too. Younger people meaning 20s, 30s, and 40s. I consider the jazz demographic to overlap in the 40s, but to really start in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, I don't know why that's the case. I'd, I'd hope to change it. I mean, there's a lot of people that came before me that's, that's tried to change it. It hasn't worked too well. Um, that's something I'm still thinking about. I think there is a demand for this music. I think we're doing a bad. We're we're killing ourselves in this in this whole cycle of of these institutions and educational places that aren't creating the right kind of cultures. We're we're basically creating more teachers instead uh, yes, of more. Artists. I agree with you on that because that's mainly how those artists make a living now. How many artists really are out there? I could say I'm going to make a living touring. Percentage-wise, if we get all the artists, musicians in the jazz world, how many of them make a living just off touring? It's probably the same in every industry, which is, you know, 1% to 5%. Okay, so we're going to say 1% to 5%. Now, how many of them rely on education, teaching to make a living? That's their heavy bulk of their income. I don't have the statistic for that. I want to say 80 But we can plus. both, yeah, we can both agree that that is a, is a large percent. We can't say exactly what it is, but I, I do understand that the point that you're making, I think we just have to change the, I mean, we have to question why people aren't coming and people aren't coming because people what is being offered it. is not, is not valuable to them. Correct. Um, but that changes internally. That changes of what we're bringing, um, you know, there's, there's, you can't, you can't spend millions of dollars in advertising ads. You can't, you can't make people want to come to a jazz show. I think there needs to be an, a, a conscious effort internally to, it's just the basic, the basic laws of economics. I mean, I like mean, you have to, like people have to, you have to, people have to want to pay for something that they find is valuable at the end of the day. If we look um, at artists right now that are getting the most attention, that are young, that are killing it in terms of streaming, the jazz community doesn't want to accept them as jazz artists. Name an example. We have this girl from Iceland that sings and plays with a guitar. Yeah, what's her name again? Uh, I saw to the L. She is killing it right now. She's probably by far the biggest act, hands down. She's getting like 12 million streams a month. That's bigger than every single person you could probably think of. She has more streams than Miles Davis and John Coltrane put together times like three. I mean, good for her. No, I, I, I agree. Mean, Great for her. Know, it's just that we're not. She's offering that. something that people are. She's offering something that people are willing to pay for. Yes. You know, now whether somebody has a personal opinion about their music is is a different thing, which. And the grand scheme of thing actually doesn't matter, you know. But you know, the the point is that he's offering something that I guess people around the world are willing to pay for, and people and people are willing to listen to it. So yes. good for her. I mean, she figured out something that, you know, like you said, eighty percent of people haven't figured out. I don't think the solution of that is to. I think people people get bitter about these kind of conversations and say, well, you have to go to a pop sound, or you have to go to a certain sound, um, or make it more accessible, or. I think that's when we we start getting into the question of are you truly an artist or not? I mean, in you know, terms even of, to, 
what do you mean by if you're truly an artist? You got people who are killing it. And then you have some people who are jealous. And because they're jealous and they don't, they go around and they say stuff like, well, that ain't jazz. And they try to pitch their music. So what happens to the other person? The other person hears their music and is like, well, I don't like this. So I guess I must not like jazz. Multiply that over the past 40, 50 years. And that's one of the reasons why jazz is in the situation they're in. Perhaps. I mean, I do agree with you. But I can't name another industry where a similar complex like this doesn't occur. Uh, I think we should all somewhat be compassionate to each other and be as understanding of of, of, of everybody as we can. So I, I don't. I, I try not to get bitter or jealous. I, I don't. I don't think it, it helps the cause of human society, and I definitely don't think it causes. I mean, it helps the the cause of, of like an individual. And uh, you know, I don't have the time to be jealous. I'd rather listen to a record or meditate or shed. So I, I do, I do sympathize with people, but I, I try not to be jealous of people. I mean, it is what it is. I, it, you know, but it's, it's like this in every industry. Um, and for the woman from Iceland, I'm forgetting her name, uh, you know, more, more power to her. And I'm happy that she's getting, uh, just not a success. I'm glad that people are listening to her music and that people like her music and that people are, receiving some kind of positive benefit from their life from listening to their music. And, uh, you know, I guess people are enjoying the music so much that they, you know, are deriving positive benefit and that's helping their lives. So I don't, I don't know why anybody would be jealous of that. Whether it's jazz or not, I mean, that's rooted in, this is rooted in a lot of complex things. Again, two, two complete extremities. Um, Cause the, the first thing that like, you have to, people have to make up their mind. You either want to do away with genres or you want to do with genres. Um, and if you, if you want to still have genres, you know, what makes one genre another genre is a question that needs to be answered. If you want to do away with genres, then stick to that conclusion. You know, I find that people that want to do away with genres completely, um, when a situation like this happens, are like the first people to come in the question of saying this isn't jazz. Yes, um, I agree you know, with that. And so I don't think it's the people on the other side. I think it's those people that want to do away with all constraints when it comes to their own music because they want to be free, free to do whatever they want to do. But then they want to pull the jazz police card when somebody else is more successful than them. So I think there's just a lot of insecurities in this industry, in every industry. Um, but it all roots back to what we were talking about earlier. These two extremes of nothing is everything, everything is nothing, except when it happens to you. Except <laughs> then <that>. you want to... <laughs> I mean, all I can say is that that girl got nominated for a Grammy. And I'm pretty sure that made some people upset. But at the same time, those same people wish they could get nominated for a Grammy. And then they think if they won a Grammy, all their problems would disappear. No, it's not going to disappear. <laughs> oh, yeah, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. And congrats to her. I mean, I don't really care. I mean, I, I'm just kind of, I'm just compassionate. I show love to everybody. I don't, I don't really, I mean, you know, and so... People are just more obsessed with hating and bringing other people down. We need to spend that energy somewhere else. I mean, but yeah, more power to her. Nothing, nothing against her at all. Mm -hmm. So my question for you next is, so what is your next project? What do you have planned for us? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I do have some exciting releases coming up. Releases, meaning albums coming up uh, next year. 
um, just some different collaborations I did that can't really speak on too much, but that's really exciting. Um, other than that, yeah, we'll we'll be the group will be out touring this album and celebrating the release next year. So a lot a lot of great exciting things, and uh, continuing to 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 try to be as, as true as an artist as I can in this world. Well, yes, I mean, stay tuned for a lot of great uh, and exciting news coming for for 2024. Is it with the same label still, or is it with a different group? Uh, these are are different just different projects in in. In, in entirety. Okay. They're more project-based than, like, group-based. Um, I can't really speak too much about it, but they're, they're more, like, a special project, like, kind of a one-off thing that I'm super excited about. So, yeah. Okay. No problem on that. And are you allowed to tell us what to expect? Like, what type of music? Yeah, both will be jazz. Um, but even, like, saying the word, you can't even say the word jazz. You can't really say anything, you know? Like there's there's no there's no welcoming of of different perspectives. You can't say the word like jazz uh, because you have people fighting you from both sides. Um, which it, it it doesn't for me it doesn't it doesn't make sense why we're why we're fighting each other so much uh, in this world. There's a lot of things that if you just say a word, you are canceled. Um, but anyway. I'm not gonna rant again. I've I've ranted already. Okay, on okay. This, on this podcast, <laughs> so I'm not gonna go into another rant. But you know, even me saying the word jazz based on our conversation was just like a, you know, like I don't I don't really think I don't think that deeply of it to want to have a problem. Like I, it's it's not something that crosses my mind of something that I have a problem with. I just want to make great music and play music that uh, makes people feel something and music that 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 basically transforms people's lives and, and, and be the truest artist that I can be. What people call it is what people call it. I mean I don't I just don't think that much about that. But I get it. I, I do sympathize with with every angle of the conversation. But we're talking about the wrong thing. We should be talking about what you asked earlier, which is how can we transform the education system to make sure we're producing higher quality artists. Not about, you know, these other minute things that are rooted in insecurity. Okay, that is fair, sir. I am sorry. <laughs> so, can you tell the people where to find you, how to contact you, even give us a date on when the next one comes out, album? Yeah, uh, you can find me, Sean Mason, you know, Instagram, all the things, Spotify, uh, my website, all of those things. And, uh, yeah, I, I think... In the spring of next year, the spring and fall are, are two really exciting times next year. Um, so as long as you follow me and stay tuned. Uh, and thanks for this conversation. These these conversations are, are needed. And I hope people listen to this and uh, at least are provoked in thought and uh, can develop a position. I don't want every I, I don't expect people to agree with my point of views. Um that that's not what makes us human, you know? And I want people to have their own views and for us to come together in disagreement and talk about these things. So I hope that this conversation can can just be a, a conversation starter for a lot of these issues that we all want to be solved. We just need to start talking about them instead of ignoring them. So, yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> well, everyone, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you.
and have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange. <laughs>